following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So did you notice on the uh, door frame as you came in this morning, there's a, a verse printed above the, above the doorway. Did you notice that? Raise your hand if you noticed that. Yeah, raise your hand if you didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, I'm like you, that second group. But since uh, in this case, I arranged to have the letters put on the, the door frame, I recognized it. I, I noticed it myself. Um, <laughs> that, um, that verse is Jeremiah 29.7, a slightly edited for space and clarity version of Jeremiah 29.7. And it's a key verse for artisan church in our history and for this series that we just started last week. It says... This, uh, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. This is a key verse for our life together as a church, and it's at the center of the passage from the book of Jeremiah that we're focusing on during the month of October as we do this Gardening in Babylon series. I I didn't think ahead enough to do this to give you a little cards to, to take home and, and memorize this verse, but if I could have you memorize one verse of Scripture this year, it would probably be this one. Um, so if you are a, a person who already memorizes Scripture, that's awesome, by the way. It's really a great, great discipline to get into. I wish I did it more, um, because when the words are, you can recall them from your head, they just affect you in a, a different and deeper way. Um, but maybe this would be something that even if you don't typically memorize Scripture as part of your own devotional life, it might be a, a good place to start. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So what I'd like to do is, is actually read that in a little bit more context. And if you'd like to follow along, it's um, on page, uh, it's on the screen, I'm finding it right now. What, what page is it on? 639 in these red Bibles. They are under your seats if you're in the sides, and they're in the seat pockets in front of you if you're in the middle. Um, these Bibles all have the same translated version of the, the original text, and uh, if you don't own a Bible, you're more than welcome to take one of these home with you. We, we give them as gifts all the time. So we're going to read is, that was verse 7. I'm going to read verses 4 through 7 of chapter 29. And um, as we get to the end of that, I'm going, to flash, I'm going to have them flash that same verse on the screen, and I'd like us to say verse 7 all together when we get to the end of the passage, okay? So even if, you, if you're not following on along, um, I will pause for a second, it'll flash up, and then we'll say it together. Got it? Okay. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Can we just pause there for a moment? I'd like to pray together about that, that very idea. Uh, our God, you are the God of Israel, as we sung words in the tradition of uh, our Jewish brothers and sisters, um, we are reminded that the same God uh, is our God. 
And uh, as we do the hard work of trying to apply this text from hundreds of years ago to people in a completely different context to our present day life, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be present among us to give us wisdom and uh, sharpness of mind and clarity and creativity uh, as we seek to be your people, as we seek the welfare of our city uh, and pray to you on its behalf. Help us always to know that in Rochester's welfare, we find our own welfare as people of God. Amen. So, I gave a quick overview of, of the context of this last week, um, but you weren't all here. I'm going to give you just a very, even more abbreviated version of that today. Um, so God's people had been conquered by the Babylonians. There's a series of conquests in, in, um, in this part of the world, as you know, if you studied ancient history. The Assyrians had come through, the Babylonians came through and conquered what was left of, of uh, God's people, um, Israel. And then later the Persians would come through, and of course the Romans and you know that whole story probably, like back and forth, because you're really good with history. But, um, so the Babylonians had conquered the people of God and had sent them into exile, had taken them out of their holy city of Jerusalem and their surrounding areas and sent them far to the, uh, I guess it would be east, to Babylon. Right? And uh, Jeremiah, who was a prophet uh, who was not deemed important enough to be taken along with all the priests and other officials of uh, Israel, of of that part of Israel, which was known as Judah, he was still in Jerusalem, and so he received this word from the Lord and sent it to the exiles who were in Babylon, who had been taken from their holy city, uh, separated from their families, uprooted from any sense of place that they had, and were trying to live out life among who the, people who they considered to be spiritually unclean uh, in a city that was strange and had temples to pagan gods, and everything was wrong. Jeremiah sent the word of the Lord that we just read together to the people who were in that state of exile. Pretty remarkable when you think about it. As is so often the case, if, if, if I were writing it for, for God, I probably would have said something else. Like, hang in there, you guys are awesome. I'm going to come kick some major Babylonian butt, and you're going to be out of there before you know it. Right? That's what I would have wanted God to say. I'm sort of imagining if I were um, a person who was in exile. But the words were not words of comfort. They were more like words of resignation, like, get used to it. (laughs) You're going to be there a while. And love your neighbors. You know, you remember your neighbors, right? The ones who came and raped and pillaged and burned and brought you out of your holy city and put you in this new place. Love them. (laughs) Sounds an awful lot like somebody else from the Bible I know. Jesus. It's always Jesus. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> Have you ever heard that joke about Sunday school? Like the Sunday school teachers like saying, what's, what, okay kids, what's that little animal? It's gray and furry and it has four legs and a long bushy tail and little tiny ears. And one of the kids said, it sounds like a squirrel, but I think the answer is Jesus. <laughs> right. The answer is always Jesus. <laughs> So what we're doing is spending the month of October trying to apply these ancient words from the prophet Jeremiah uh, to our own modern life in our city of Rochester. Now, we're not in exile in Rochester the same way, although people who grew up in Maine often do consider themselves exiles when they live anywhere else. But most of you didn't have that uh, wonderful luxury of growing up in Maine, so you don't even know what I'm talking about. 
for the most part, we don't consider ourselves exiled in Rochester. We actually love it here already, for the most part, I said. <laughs> um, so what we're going to do is each week in this series, we're taking a different little phrase from this passage, Jeremiah 29, 4 through 7, and we're trying to apply it. Last week, we did build houses, and this week, we're doing plant gardens. Next week is sons and daughters, and the week after that is pray for the city. So just by quick word of clarification, the series is called Gardening in Babylon. That's kind of just a clever turn of phrase that's designed to represent all of the, all of the ideas in the passage. Today's topic is plant gardens, and we're going to try to get a little bit more specific about that, that certain part of the, of the passage. Um, so let's look at that. It's, it's really the, the second half of verse 5. Uh, and, and so here it is, uh, edited for, again for length and clarity. Thus says the Lord to all the exiles in Babylon, build houses and live in them, that was last week, plant gardens and eat what they produce. So as we try to apply this, these words to, to our life, we are walking a little bit of a, um, I think you'd agree, a hermeneutical tightrope. <laughs> uh, that's a, just a fancy word that means how you interpret the Bible. Hermeneutical. If I was one of those dorky preachers, I would say, can you say that with me, like Mr. Rogers or whatever. But we are walking a, a little bit of a tightrope as we try to interpret and apply this text to our life today. Now, there's two ways you can fall off a tightrope, right? Well, there's probably a third way, but we don't want to think about that one. You can fall off to one side or to the other, right? <laughs> um, not in my notes. Um, <laughs> And so I want to talk about those two pitfalls. And by the way, if this seems needlessly technical to you, I'm sorry, but I'm not actually sorry. Um, because I do consider it a big part of my job, not just to teach the Bible to you, but to um, teach you ways to, to work with the Bible and read it for yourself and understand it for yourself. Um, I, I, would, I enjoy that a lot, and sometimes I like to get sort of more theoretical and, and try to give you tools. Not that I'm some super expert, but I did go to school for a long time, and I have big student loans, so... Like to try to give you some tools for how to work with the Bible on your own because you do not need me to tell you uh, what's in the Bible. Um, you, you have access to the same spirit that I do. And uh, Okay, enough about that. But that's my semi-apology for getting a little technical on this, uh, this tightrope thing. So the first side you can fall off the tightrope as you're trying to interpret this passage is to, to get far too literal in interpreting the message of, of the Scriptures. Right, so that might work for something like build houses and live in them. Last week when we talked about that, like for some of us, the answer is literally build a house or buy one and live in it. Right? It doesn't work for everything equally, though. So today, like plant gardens, if, you wanted to, if, you're, if you're falling off the tightrope in that direction, you might think, okay, I literally need to plant two or more gardens, because it's plural, and then I just need to eat what they produce, and I will have lived out the, the words of Scripture in my life. And maybe I should go to Babylon to do that. Right. <laughs> Nobody actually interprets Scripture that way, except when they kind of do. You know, they don't do it with texts like this, but they do it with some other ones sometimes. Um, so that's the, that's the first side you can fall off the tightrope. The other side is that you can get a little bit too cute, a little bit too creative with your, your um, allegorical or metaphorical interpretation of the text. Right? So you might, in this case, say, I think when it says plant gardens... What that means for us today is that when we sow seeds of love and happiness in life, 
we get to eat the delicious meal of positive relationships that result from planting those seeds, right? Okay, so that might be a nice message, but I don't think it's actually a legitimate interpretation of the scripture. By the way, it's also the doctrine of karma, which is uh, entirely different from the the doctrine of of God's free grace for sinners. (laughs) Um, Makes a good Beatles song, but not very good Christian theology. So that's the other side you can fall off. So you really, what you obviously have to do is walk the rope a little bit. And so if we're going to walk the rope and not fall off on one side or the other, what are, we should, what are we to do? How should we apply this phrase, plant gardens and eat what they produce? Well, I think that the way you approach something like this is, is actually quite simple. And you can do it in two steps and then an application. The first step is that you have to figure out what the gardens meant for the people in the original context. What, what would it mean for the Lord to tell them to plant gardens and eat what they produce? What would that mean for them? The second step is you think about what is the thing that means that thing for us? Does that make sense? What's the, what's the corresponding action we can take that would get us the same result that planting gardens got the people in exile in Babylon? What is that corresponding thing? What's the counterpart, the corollary for us in modern-day Rochester? That's the second step. So you figure out what it meant for them. You figure out what means that same thing for us. And step three is, I'm sorry we've got some, small, some, some children in here now, but the step three is you get off your ass and you do it. Right? My son hears that word at home, so I apologize if, if, <laughs> I apologize if your children don't. It is good, by the way, to have some of our um, fourth graders now some of them, like that's the, the step up that we had a few weeks ago. So some of you are fifth graders, yes, I know, but, but I think fourth grade is really the cutoff. It's awesome to have you guys with us, and uh, they're kind of taking their own special kind of notes and so forth, and um, we've had them reading scripture the past couple of weeks, and we'll do that some more in the future. So anyway, hey kids, welcome. Sometimes the pastor swears. <clears throat> so let's talk about that first, that first thing. What did gardens mean to the exiles from Jerusalem, who were sent into Babylon. Well, first and foremost, as you can see from the text, it meant basic sustenance. Eat what they produce. Obviously, in in ancient Babylonia, there's no factory farms. There's no Wegmans. There's not even like those crappy southern stores like Kroger. There's, There's no Chipotle. If you want to eat, you have to grow the food yourself or go out and kill it and drag it home. So basic sustenance is is the first part of what this meant for them. And that kind of goes to the the overall message of the passage, which is simply just live. Just be in the place where you are. Live your life. Just as you would at home, put down roots. In this case, literal roots, maybe of wheat and barley. Because this is your new home, and you ought to get used to it. Secondly, though, and probably more broadly, and this is the part that probably we'll will be able to apply better for ourselves, is agriculture meant a lot to the uh, culture of ancient Babylon. Right? You probably either gave an oral report about this in social studies class, or one of your classmates did. 
right? So I want you to picture the, uh, the tri-fold poster board, right? With the little papers cut out and glued, right? What are some of the papers we're going to see about agriculture in ancient Babylon? We're going to see pictures of the crops that they grew, wheat and barley and so forth. You're going to see pictures of how they developed their irrigation system. You see pictures of the, of the people working in the fields, plowing them, planting the seeds, harvesting the, the crop. You're going to see pictures of the items that they could trade the crops for. And here's kind of where we get closer to the point. You know, agriculture was not just food, it was also a, a currency of sorts. You could trade crops for uh, precious metals, for tools, for jewelry, So agriculture meant so much more to the exiles than just the food they put on their tables. It was a central piece of the economic puzzle of the time. So to plant gardens, for the Lord to tell the people to plant gardens, was not just about basic sustenance. It was also essentially telling them, you are now going to participate in the culture of the, of the place where you are. You're going to become a, a participant in the local economy. <laughs> So, that's what it meant to them. Basic sustenance and participating in the culture, including the economy. So, the, the second part of, the, of this interpretive tightrope walk that we have to do is what, what things in our modern culture correspond to those ideas of basic sustenance and, and participating in the culture, including the economy. And by the way, uh, when I say including uh, uh, participating in the economy... Uh, I do not mean, like, be a good little capitalist. And I do not mean uh, be, a, be a good little American consumer and buy, 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 because that's what is going to make our economy recover. And all that, that shell game that you hear uh, in, in the voices of politicians and newsreaders, that is not what I'm intending for you to hear from my own voice. What are the modern equivalents for us? What does it look like for us to participate in our culture, including, including our economy, maybe especially our local, local economy? And if you're starting to have a, a certain train of thought that goes a little bit like this, wait a second, we are getting, we're stepping farther and farther away from the words of Scripture here. What does this really have to do with Jesus? If you're going to tell me that I need to like buy local to live out the gospel, that's, that sounds kind of like urban hipster public policy to me. That doesn't sound like the gospel of Jesus. I, I'm sympathetic to that perspective. I was sort of saying it to myself as I was writing these words and thinking through this message. But then I, then I kind of realized something which is that if we are people who want to live out the gospel of Jesus, that the message of good news that permeates our whole existence and our whole world, and if we want to carry that message to the people with whom we interact and, and the people who live next door and the people who we encounter all the time, it's not going to just happen by magic, right? Um, you don't, you don't get converted and 
kneel down and pray the prayer, and then suddenly your whole life is sold out to the gospel. That's, that's what you want, eventually, is everything to be in the service of the Lord Jesus. But I don't know any other way to get there except to find these little areas of life and to live them for Jesus, one at a time. Right? So, I, I, again, I'm a little bit sympathetic to that. Now, come on. What does the local economy have to do with Jesus? But at the same time, it has to do with Jesus because it has to do with you. And everything that you are about has to do with Jesus. And Jesus has to do with everything that you're about. And everything you're about has to do with Jesus. And Jesus has to do with everything that you're about, right? I ended so many sentences with prepositions right there. But you get what I'm saying. All right, so what, what are the versions of, of basic sustenance and participation in the economy of our city? To me, this means that, that in order to step from those, that little two-pronged approach to Scripture into application of it for our own lives, it means we have to be asking ourselves additional questions. Questions that do include, what do we eat? Where do we get it? How much of it do we eat? Questions like, where do we spend our money? Why do we spend it there? How much of it do we spend? What kind, of, what kind of investments are we making with our actions? I'm not talking about like Merrill Lynch-style investments. I'm talking about like you are pouring yourself into something. By the way, you are in a perpetual state of pouring yourself into something, right? So at least point the spout at something that matters, Right? Because if you just, like, well, whatever, man. I love Jesus. Click, 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 click. Right? I mean, you are going to be pouring yourself into something, and it's probably not, if it's not intentional, if you're not being careful about it, you're going to be wasting your effort and energy, and you're going to be falling way short of what you could be accomplishing for the kingdom of God, for the ways that you could be bringing the gospel to bear in your neighborhood. Can we love our neighbors better by, by changing our answers to those questions? I actually think we can. And I'm sensing that you're not all convinced. So what I want you to do, and I don't do this, I don't do this all the time. If you're, if you're visiting today and this kind of thing really, you hate it, don't worry. Come back next week. We, we definitely won't do it next week and probably not the week after either. But I want to ask you to turn to your neighbor, and you may have to kind of move a little bit if you're not right next to somebody. And just, if you're, if you're uh, I just want you to think about this question. What are some specific things we can do that will help us, that will, that will move us forward in living out this part of the verse? Plant gardens and eat what they produce. The ways we uh, obtain our basic sustenance and the ways we participate in our culture. What are some specific, tangible steps we could take? to make a difference there. Now, um, if you came with somebody else and you're comfortable, I would love to ask you to turn to a, in a different direction to somebody, but if you want to stay close, that's fine. You can turn to the person you came with. I would if, if it was me and my wife, for example. I would not be talking to some stranger about this. I'd be just like pretending to talk about it with my wife. <laughs> I, get what that, I get what happens in moments like this. You think I don't, but I do. Um, and, and if you're super introverted, of course, you're going to be like, oh, man, my coffee is fresh out. I'll be right back. 
talk about that in just a second. And then you won't come back until you hear me talking again. I get it. It's all right. A little bit out of your comfort zone, perhaps, but take two or three minutes, turn to your neighbor and say, what could we do to plant gardens and eat what they produce in Rochester, where we live, as we try to live out the gospel in our neighborhood? All right, go ahead. Okay, so this is intended to be a fairly short exercise. Take one more minute. All right, let the, whoever's talking, let them finish their sentence and then, and then wrap it up. So by my count, we just came up with like 25 awesome ideas. And I want to hear three of them. We don't have time for any more than that. Three of you in one sentence, two if you really insist on being wordy. What could we do to live this out? Did you have something? Drink local beer. All right. Yeah, it's okay to applaud local beer. That's right. <laughs> um, get off the phone and interact with people. Wow. I don't know, man. What does that have to do with gardens? I kind of like my phone. <laughs> Thank you. Get together with your neighbors and do a project co-op. Awesome. All right. I said three. Let's do five. Two more. Continue supporting the bridge ministry. Do a lot of local work. Great. One more. Participate in a local CSA. Now that is the kind of literalism I can get behind. I love that. <laughs> Community-supported agriculture. We have a, a, a regular artisan attender right now, at least one, who's involved in um, making that kind of thing happen. And supporting that is a great way to kind of put all these ideas together. I mean, it, it's, it's the literal interpretation and the uh, more figurative interpretation. Thank you. Good. So, obviously, this, this can kind of be applied in a, a broad set of ways. But this is where the rubber hits the road of living out the gospel, if you ask me. I mean, again, it may seem way too, like, fussy, way too precious, way too specific. But there is no general way to live out the gospel. There's only specific ways. <laughs> general would be when you're doing so many different specific ways that you are generally living out the gospel uh, uh, as, a, as a matter of course in your life. Got it? <laughs> so one idea I had is that we should do a, a local restaurant Sunday. What if, I don't know, say two weeks from now on the 27th, after church... We all went, anybody who could, I know that this isn't budgetarily possible for everybody, but anybody who could went and frequented one of the like dozen restaurants along South Clinton between our street and downtown. You guys are all murmuring. I don't know what you're talking about. I can't, I'm, <laughs> the room is too big. I can no longer hear those things. Except Salvatore's. Come on. They are really good to us. I know, I know they're not the best pizza in Rochester, despite what that city poll is probably going to tell us, but they're very nice, though, and they are a locally-owned business, so don't hate on their crust. I mean, you can hate on their crust, but don't hate on them. <laughs> but wouldn't that be kind of neat if, on the 27th, Artisan Church just flooded this, these restaurants? And you know what? 
for no other reason than to, to support with our dollars our neighbors, our actual neighbors. That is, I think, kind of what God meant through the prophet Jeremiah when he told the exiles, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Let me conclude with this. It might be that this whole conversation was never able to get home with you. Um, I know from talking to some of you that, that some of you are going through some really, really hard stuff. You are truly suffering in life right now. And I assume that there are many others of you who I haven't talked to for whom that is also true. And when you are in a state like that, all this nonsense about, oh, should we eat local pizza for the gospel? It just is like, you just can't quite get there. You just can't muster up, I can't say that word. You can't just, you just can't care. If that is true for you, I would just like to say that that actually the passage that we are studying this month ought to speak to you probably more deeply and more closely than it speaks to those of us who are not, at the moment, going through trying times. Imagine, though, what the people felt like. As I said earlier, they had been uprooted from their homes, taken away to a strange land where they had no compass, um, they literally didn't know which way was north, and they didn't know, kind of figuratively, which way was north. Their families may have been broken up. Their religious sensibility was gone. They had no anchor geographically. They were lost and hopeless and alone. So if, if that's how you feel today, you can have your own separate little sermon, just you and the Holy Spirit with this passage. And I hope that you, I hope that you do, because um, this Theoretical, specific stuff is really important, but it's not as important as, as some of those, those moments that you have. So, so if you are a person who's going through that kind of thing, I hope that this, this lovely little prayer from an old prayer book called the Galatian Sacramentary, I love saying that word, I hope that this little prayer will be meaningful to you. And uh, let's close with this. O God of infinite mercy and boundless majesty, whom no distance can part from those for whom thou care. Be present to thy servants who everywhere confide in thee. And through all the way in which they are to go, be pleased to be their guide and companion. May no adversity harm them, no difficulty oppose them. May all things turn out happily and prosperously for them, that by the aid of thy right hand, whatsoever they have asked for with reasonable desire, they may speedily find brought to good effect through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. I invite you now as we sing the last two songs together to come to the table of the Lord and to receive the sacrament of Holy Communion. We celebrate this sacrament every week together at Artisan and you don't have to be a member here uh, to participate with us. You are brothers and sisters in Christ if you are following him and seeking to do so um, in this place today. Uh, by the way, regardless of how good a job you feel like you're doing, uh, this table is for sinners, uh, and we are all. Intinction is how we do it, so tear off a piece of bread and dip it in the wine or the juice, whatever is more appropriate for you and your family. I believe that we will have um, at least one member of the prayer team seated up here during this time as well. If you would like 
individual prayer for something going on in your life, you can receive that during this time as well. Um, But let's continue to worship him together. Our table is open, uh, and I invite you to come. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.